AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to hour number two of the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. It is Monday. It is December 11th. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today, hopefully getting him back tomorrow in the sports zone. Meanwhile, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today. We'll make room around 1215 or so to be joined by Alex Myers from Golf Digest. There's a lot happening in the world of men's professional golf. There's also been some rule changes upcoming as well in 2028 that will impact uh, amateurs and professionals alike. So thought we would have a golf uh, Uh, kind of, I guess, recap of 2023, if you will, and what we might think is in store for 2024 and beyond. So we'll do that with Alex Myers around uh, 12.15 today. But first, let's reset the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started here with the KDOS1060.com poll question. What has stood out most to you through 14 weeks of the NFL season? Quarterback injuries or discussion of ref calls at game end. And the masses have busted out of a 50-50 tie. It's now quarterback injuries, 56% of the vote. Discussion of ref calls at game end at 44% of the vote. So maybe... Mike Tanier of The Messenger having a bit of an influence there with his particular answer. Uh, Mike Tanier joined us uh, in the previous hour. And if you missed any of that interview, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com or with the KDOS 1060 app. We will answer that question around 1230 today. Twitter's question at KDUS AM 1060, are you concerned about the state of men's professional golf? And yes, leading the way at 68.8% of the vote, no trailing at 31.3%. That also gets answered around 1230 today. I wanted to wrap up something that we were finishing up there in hour one about Jaden Daniels winning the 2023 Heisman Trophy here. We were discussing a little bit about, uh, you know, the ascension here of quarterbacks winning this award. It's mainly been an offensive award for some time now. And then also discussing how he got his career started at ASU and how he has been the last two seasons now with LSU. I do have to wonder... Would ASU have gotten this out of Jaden Daniels as a player and kind of just going through the stats like I did in hour one there, wrapping things up about what we saw from him in 2019. 2020 was a washout year. 2021, yes, completion percentage went up, yards down, interceptions up. And there was just kind of, I don't, you know, like this. I don't know about Jaden Daniels here. He goes to LSU and you just see a totally different quarterback. So then if you look, though, at this 2021 ASU roster on the offensive side of the ball, you obviously have Jaden Daniels at quarterback. Johnny Wilson was on this team in 2021. 
He's been with Florida State the last two years. This year, 41 catches, 617 yards, two touchdowns. Obviously part of the undefeated Florida State team. He did have a couple of injuries there in this season, but the ascension of Johnny Wilson there for the Seminoles. Rashad White was on this 2021 roster for ASU. He's been with the Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In fact, Sunday, 25 carries, 102 yards in yesterday's win. Ricky Pearsall was on this 2021 roster. He now plays for Florida. He's been playing for Florida uh, for the last two years. He has 65 catches this season, 965 yards, four touchdowns for kind of an interesting revolving Florida trying to figure things out after Anthony Richardson gets drafted. Jalen Conyers was on this team in 2021. He just entered the transfer portal and over the weekend looks as though he is going to be playing his ball next at Texas Tech. Chip Trainum was on this team in 2021 for ASU. He's been at Ohio State now, kind of moving back and forth about where he is going to play. 85 carries, though, at running back for him this year, 373 yards and three touchdowns. Curtis Hodges was on this team undrafted, but he's been in the commander's organization. And then Ladarius Henderson on that offensive line. He now plays for Michigan. They went eight and five, six and three in Pac-12 play. Obviously, I think in general, and this is with with anything, is that you have you have talent, you have potential, you have then how is the coaching staff going to put it all together? How is the coaching staff going to teach you the fundamentals, the game? How is it all going to come together to mold you into being the best that you can be in addition to how that comes together to be the best for the team? It's just kind of interesting to look back and see where this team was in 2021 with the talent that they had on the offensive side of the ball and now the complete rebuilding situation that Kenny Dillingham faces here heading into the 2024 season. Jaden Daniels, a Heisman Trophy winner from LSU. Also, his draft stock improving. It'll be very interesting to see as we get closer to that draft process what the narratives are surrounding Jaden Daniels. Um, and how his game translates to the next level. But congratulations there to Jaden Daniels, the 2023 Heisman Trophy winner. As it is for the Phoenix Suns, they lost 114 to 106 to the uh, Kings on Friday night. There was no Bradley Beal. There was no Kevin Durant. There was no Grayson Allen. Devin Booker, 10 of 14, 28 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists. There is some expected good news, though, for the Suns, as Dwayne Rankin of the Arizona Republic is reporting that Bradley Beal is expected back Tuesday against the Golden State Warriors. We know Bradley Beal has not played for the Suns since November 12th, and it's only been three games in the regular season for the Suns. 17.3 points per game. 28.7 minutes, 5.3 rebounds, and 3.7 assists. It's been a roller coaster for the Suns to get this season started, whether it's injuries, whether it's the win-loss total. They start the season 2-4, and then they rattle off seven in a row. Now they've lost four of their last five. It's kind of been all over the place, but clearly... 
it's really important for the three players to be healthy. We haven't had Bradley Beal all but three games. He has missed. In fact, those three players have yet to play together. Um, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal in the regular season. So it's paramount here for this Suns team to stay healthy when it really, really counts. Now, there's also something that I've been concerned about because Devin Booker had some injuries here to start the season, missed some time, and Kevin Durant was logging big, big minutes. And I was just worried about that kind of catching up to him in addition to some of the injuries that he's had in in years past to not overwork him at the beginning of the season. But you kind of find yourself in this weird, what what, what do we do? You know, we're playing for the postseason, but we still need to get into the postseason, so we need to win some games in order to make that happen. Durant forced into a ton of action, though, early on. He's fifth in the NBA in minutes with 36.7 minutes per game. I would... In addition to getting Bradley Beal back and healthy, Devin Booker healthy, all three playing together, like to see a little bit more minutes conservation, if you will. There is an interesting date upcoming that is important around the NBA, and it's probably maybe a little bit more important here for the Phoenix Suns, though, too. That's December 15th. And this is when... Most players who signed in the offseason are eligible to be traded. And it also kind of somewhat signals the start of the NBA trade cycle. Rumors will certainly be ramping up, etc. There's several players who are eligible to be traded for the Suns. Uh, In addition to that, I think that they are likely to be on the market for some help. Um, You know, if Bob were here, he would probably be talking about defense and how that's important. And I think that that's kind of showing up in some different areas that they need. They need a four. They need a power forward and some defensive ability there. Because at sometimes you just watch them on the court with a bigger lineup. They're small and they're getting they're getting run over. So if they can find something on the trade market, power forward, defensive ability, that's probably a direction that they're going to go. Also, we've seen it that when. Booker and Kevin Durant go to the bench, either the lead shrinks or the other team's lead kind of starts to get out of hand. So that in a couple of different ways can get itself sorted out. If Bradley Beal's back, then everybody else slots into their expected roles when the season got started. So maybe that helps with some of the bench production and bench minutes, or maybe that is something that they're going to look for at, um, you know, this December 15th start up until the trade deadline to kind of help fill out that bench. There does seem to be a lot of positions on this team as it is right now that kind of all do the exact same thing. So maybe getting a little bit of diversity there in into what these guys can do on the court will certainly help shore up what the Suns are trying to do and uh, looking to improve there. Also, you know, point guards don't just like fall from the sky and uh but that might be something that they might look into as well Devin Booker has done a nice job in the ball handling role but maybe if you had a point guard and kind of facilitating things 
it changes the dynamics of of the court. Maybe that is what Bradley Beal is going to be slotting into. We don't really 100% know because we haven't seen the three of them together yet. I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in that, like, they need to play the rest of the season, all three of them together. I think it can probably come together quickly. But health is of importance. Back injuries are not something to take lightly. So hopefully this period of rest has been exactly what he's needed and he'll be good to go for a longer period of time in his return to the Phoenix Suns starting rotation. On the other side of the break, Alex Myers Golf Digest. We dive into the world of men's professional golf, some rule changes by the USGA and the RNA. It's all happening on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. We're popping on out to the KDOS hotline, Alex Myers Golf Digest. Normally, we chat with Alex getting ourselves prepared for major championships, but there has been major developments in the world of professional and even amateur golf as well. Uh, So we need an update here from Alex. Alex, it's Kayla. How are you today? I'm doing great, Kayla. Yeah, this has to be the most uh, busy, eventful December in, in golf history <laughs> so yeah, far. Absolutely. We're not even halfway through the month. <laughs> I know. You know, normally the, the the terminology has kind of gone away with the silly season, if you will. But we just wrapped up the right. Grant Thornton, which was a mix of PGA Tour and LPGA Tour players. This week, it's going to be the PNC uh, with with uh, fathers, daughters, uh, mothers, sons playing. So kind of some fun break in the action, if you will. But something that certainly is um, everyone's mind and top of mind here is John Rahm and the number three ranked player in the world making the decision to move on from the PGA Tour and go to live golf. Uh, The two tours were at odds with each other, players defecting to go to live. If we remember last year, the year before, the PGA Tour, though, in the summer provided us with a very stunning development that the PGA Tour and the public investment fund from Saudi Arabia had engaged in a framework partnership. At the time it was announced, the two sides had said, hey, we have until December 31st to actually come up with an official agreement. Well, it's almost Mm -hmm. December 31st. What's the latest from these two sides and how does John Rahm's uh, movement impact any of this? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody is scrambling to try to figure this out, but clearly the ROM signing is going to have a major effect on this deal, whether it gets done or not. But I, it, you know, I think most people think that it's going to wind up leading to a deal getting done because now, I mean, you know, look, signing John Rom is a huge get for live golf, no doubt about it, but there's still live golf. They're still struggling to make a dent. They're still on the CW network. Um, they need the PGA tour. You know, they need that credibility, that history, that they can kind of latch onto, that they can kind of infiltrate more so. So I think now though the tour though says, wow, look, this guy, this 
new league has come along, they've, um, you know, we kind of held them off after that initial rush of players, but now they go and sign John Rahm, um, you know, maybe the biggest star worldwide, uh, certainly the guy maybe with the, the best potential to be one of the great players. Um, Live Golf now has three of the five best players in the world, if you're looking at it objectively, not at the, obviously, the world ranking system, which <laughs> doesn't factor in the Live guys. Uh, but Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, you would also toss in that top five. And then three of the past five major champs. So if you're the PGA Tour, you're saying, how can we risk losing any more players? And not only players, but sponsors. I mean, it wasn't exactly tied to the ROM news, but the day after this broke, you know, it comes out that Wells Fargo, a longtime sponsor of the Wells Fargo Championship, isn't going to renew the deal after this year. And, you know, there's been word going around that because the tours had to pump up all these uh, purses in retaliation to live, they're now going to these sponsors and saying, hey, after next year, you're going to have to start kicking in more money. And these sponsors are saying, well, that's not what we want to do. And especially if you're not even going to have as strong of fields anymore. So the tour is in danger of losing more players more sponsors uh, until they get this deal done. So in a way, I think the ROM thing uh, should add a sense of urgency to to this deal, maybe finally getting done. You kind of touched on it there. You know, the PGA Tour trying to do everything that they possibly could to mitigate more players and just a mass exodus. You know, they tried to immediately have an answer with the elevated events. Then they started changing those events to no-cut events with guaranteed payouts. Mm -hmm. So did the PGA Tour, in a sense, kind of overextend themselves trying to make sure that their products stayed the same? And to your point here, they didn't actually have the actual financing to back this plan long term. Without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. And, and it sounds like, you know, the tour is a successful business or sorry, nonprofit. And I guess technically they had reserves of cash. They were able to dip into that for a while, but it just was not sustainable. Now, part of the main reason, too, for that agreement in June was to get these lawsuits dropped. Right. The tour was spending a ton of money on the on litigation. It was there was no end in sight. Um, they had already pumped money into these purses. They didn't want to keep pumping money into to paying lawyers. So they got that done. Um, but now after going through some of that, um, it's just not sustainable to have purses these high, uh, sorry, this high going forward. You mentioned the signature events, um, you know, $20, 25000000 million purses for uh, a dozen events. Uh, the, the, the player impact program, the PIP payouts, I mean, they just gave John Rahm nine million bucks on the way out uh, for for finishing third in that. So that you're right, there were certain things that they were trying to do. They were desperate to, um, you know, reward a uh, loyalty among their players, but also to kind of show, okay, we we can we can divvy up the pie a little differently here. We can we can give a little more guaranteed money, um, and and in doing so, right? I don't think they were quite prepared to give out that much money. And now they're they're starting to feel the effect. So clearly they need outside investment. Whether it was the the, the PIF fund, whether it's um, you know another uh, uh, equity you know company. Uh, we've heard a few that have been mentioned, um, but uh, they they need something. They need an infusion of cash now. Whereas you know a couple of years ago they the way they operated they were they were doing fine. Uh, but now the, now that the game's been changed and that live is around and they able to throw you know, whatever 300 to 500 million, whatever number you want to believe it, it's just certain individual players that's changed how the tour has to operate. 
Alex Myers with Golf Digest here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. So, you know, our main focus here is the top players. You talk about the PIP fund, not the same thing as the PIF, but mm-hmm. uh, PIP fund right. that, you know, is going to the top players. There's a whole bunch of different variety of ways in which they can earn this money. But some of the argument here is that all of this money is really going toward the top player and it's forgetting about the other 125 players that make up, you know, any given field on the PGA tour. Now, is there like a lot of cause for concern from that journeyman for that person that has made an incredible career, five time winner or something like that about the, just the strength, the longevity, where the direction of the PGA tour is going. Yeah. I mean, there's, there certainly is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of, uh, journeymen, whatever you want to call them, not rank and file players who, who are upset. They don't think they're getting now, um, you know, enough money as well. Uh, some of that's kind of crazy. If, if I'm being honest here, I mean, you know, the, these guys have, you know, maybe, maybe aren't in that, the, the signature events, but any week to week basis, you know, they're playing for a million plus <clears throat> pretty much every week. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's not like, these other tours have a lot more to complain about at the bottom of the money list, right? On the PGA tour, if you're in that top 125, you're making a pretty good living. Yes. You have a lot of expenses. Yes. You, you know, this and that, but that's, that's part of the deal. Um, but you're, you know, you're making over a million dollars a year um, before you start paying out and whatever you're, you're doing okay. If you're, if you're keeping your card. Um, I, I also think the tour, it, it's been overlooked here. The tour did do a couple things to, to help, um, some of these players in the last year as well. I mean, they, they came out with this minimum, uh, if you're a rookie, I think, and you get your card, it's a minimum $500,000 payout that you get. And so you can take that up front, but then once you go over it, you, you know, you cap out or whatever. I mean, and the uh, $5,000 travel stipend, I think per player, if you're at a certain level. So they have done other things for, for these lower players, but certainly the big money, the, the, the stuff that gets the most news is going towards the star players. And um, again, look, I mean, the star players do deserve a little more, right? They're the ones who people are paying the tickets for. I don't think anyone really minds. Um, you know, you look at the pit money and you say, oh, it's, maybe it's it's obscene. But um, I don't think anybody minds Tiger getting any bonuses, even if he doesn't play. I mean, there were 20 years where Tiger was the cause of all the purses going up and he wasn't getting anything extra other than what he won on the on tour. So, I think there is some sort of justification for, for paying the stars, the guys who get people talking. Um, but I also think that the, the, the rank and file guys are, are, are getting a little crazy now with some of these demands and, and, and you add it all up, Kayla. And sadly, they, they all have a potential to, to bring this whole thing down. You know, I mean, if the tour gets brought down and now we're stuck with live and, and I'm not saying live couldn't be some great thing, but, they could destroy the PGA tour as we know it. And, and it's, it, it really comes from, from greed. That kind of leads into my next question here. Did the tours, did the players kind of forget about the fans? I mean, I understand that oh, yeah. we live in a society where we uh, need to make as much money as we possibly can make it when we need to make it. But did some of all right. of this posturing and fighting and everything that's been taking place off the course lead itself down this path where maybe fans start saying to themselves, never mind, I don't need to watch this? 
I, I mean, a hundred percent. I have, I have a bunch of friends who are, you know, decent golf fans. I mean, not, not crazy hardcore fans, but they'll watch from time to time. They usually, you know, check tune in on a Sunday at least or something. And, and they're, you know, they're frustrated. They're saying, what's going on? It, 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 first of all, people are confused by it. Um, they're kind of sick of following it, hearing about it. Um, and, and now it's just going to be, wait, so all these guys are, are going to be playing this tournament while all these other guys are going to be playing on the PGA Tour? Well, why would I? Now these events aren't as good. And so now the majors become an even bigger deal, um, right? Because those are probably going to be the four times a year where, you know, Obviously, you have all the best players, but even now, you're not even going to have nearly as many good good guys on, uh, in some of these other elevated PGA Tour events. So, you know, the motivation to watch is going to go it's going down. Live is um, again, like I said, has not made a dent. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I just don't think Rom is going to make that big of a difference for Live. Um, I think the difference was more felt on the on the tour side. Um, and yes, the fans are being forgotten left about i mean you know we're seeing nbc not sending people to the the Ryder cup or solheim cup doing doing having announcers in in connecticut calling the action and them cutting costs and we all hear about the complaints about the commercials and how much is covered and you know why aren't there cameras on every hole and you know stuff like that i mean it's not a great product for the fans right now and again if you're going to have watered down tournaments which you already had, if we're being honest. I mean, the tour, think about it. Baseball doesn't go 12 months a year. Uh, football doesn't go 12 months a year. Golf tries to go 12 months a year. So you're already kind of watered down. Now you're going to water down those events even more. It's definitely making it less interesting, I think, for fans to want to tune in on a week-to-week basis. Alex Myers, Golf Digest here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. Okay, so we'll place that aside here for now, and we'll go to the other thing that happened here in the last couple of weeks. It's the rollback of the golf ball starting in 2028. Golf companies certainly aren't happy about this rule, and I'd have to think that litigation is going to be coming up soon for that. Uh, Players have been outspoken about the rule change uh, that they think it's a good thing. Players have been outspoken whether or not they think it's a bad thing here. But I guess first, can you lay the groundwork for us? What are some of the stats behind the golf ball rollback and like the loss of distance for the professional, for the amateur player? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of mixed messaging here and there was, you know, the, we golf digest, uh, our Mike Sutter reported it before it came out. And so you didn't really get these numbers and people maybe jumped the gun on how big a difference it was going to be. The, the USGA is, is claiming, um, you know, that it's going to be, um, I think 5% off tee shots for the pro player might come out to 12 to 17 yards, something like that. But for the amateur male, it might be five to seven yards for the, for the amateur regular um, female player, more like three to five yards. Um, they're claiming it's not going to be that big of a difference. Um, and that you, you really only feel it more with the drivers in the woods versus the irons. Again, I'm not a scientist. I don't know how they're able to do that and how they know that the golf ball is going to do that, but that's what they're claiming. So um, there's this debate here. Now, the flip side is, Kayla, obviously that, you know, I could kind of be talked into the pros. Oh, they hit it too far. You can't play certain courses anymore. They don't play it the way, the, you know, the architect originally intended them to play. Well, on the flip side, the regular weekend golfer like myself, and um, you know, I'm not bringing any golf course 
to its knees uh, with my, you know, 250 yard drive if I really catch it good. So to me, it's, I think a lot of golfers are saying, well, what the heck, why would I ever have to hit a ball that doesn't go as far? I don't hit it that far. I'm not that good anyway. And so to me, it's kind of a tough message, especially as the, the game's popularity is, is hitting potentially an all time high that you're going to, you know, change this up on golfers. Now I will say this will not go into effect for, the recreational golfer until 2030. So we've got some time and it won't go into effect for the pros till 2028. So there is this very long grace period. Like you said, there could be lawsuits in there. There could be challenges. There could be other things. Um, but to me, the, the universal rollback just did not seem to make as much sense as, you know, maybe potentially making a ball for the pros that went a little shorter um, or at select events or, or at the majors or whatever. You could have come up with some solution that um, maybe appeased both, both sides a little better than this. You touched on it. There's just been an absolute explosion of interest in golf here over the last three years, whether right. it is watching the game or right. playing the game. Uh, the USGA and RNA making a rule like this to not necessarily just stop technology from advancement from this point forward, but the actual rollback makes me wonder here, hold up, do we need to be concerned about all of the technology advancement that we've seen in the clubs itself? I mean, just take a look right. at a driver that you hit from the year 2000 versus the driver you're hitting here in 2023. Right. I mean, the quote unquote sweet spot is completely changed. Your miss hits don't right. curve as wildly as they did before, and they certainly go right. further. So, you know, should there right. be cause for concern that that could potentially be on the horizon when this game is finally gaining some traction and fun for people? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, the, the, they've def, you know, they've, they've actually have put in these limits, but to the overall obviously, you know, you always hear about a golfer now in the the champ, PGA Tour champions, the senior tour that they hit it farther than they did in their prime. So obviously, the technology has gone up so much these last few decades, but you know, the past couple decades they really have regulated it pretty good, and so I think a lot of the people who are anti-rollback are saying, look, with the way the regulations are now, it's never going to get where guys are hitting like 500-yard drives. It's just not because they have a max on how fast the ball can fly off the club. They have a max on how big the driver can be. Now, you're right, the sweet spot, things like that, they've definitely been able to tweak, improve even more and more, and that has made it a little easier. But again, it's not like regular golfers are going out there breaking par all the time, right, at their, their local muni. So, it's still a challenging game, a very challenging game, um, and doing anything to, to make it even more challenging seems kind of silly. Now, that being said, I, I, I do think that they that this ball rollback is their first foray into maybe turning back, rolling back some of these other things, like you mentioned, Kayla, because, yeah, if you wanted to make it a lot harder or keep the distance down, you, yeah, you could limit the sweet spot on drivers. Um, you know, they already limited the length of drivers. You could do – you could do that even more you could um same thing with irons you could make a limit i guess on the way the irons are lofted um so there are a lot of different things that that they could do and i think this is like the first uh, foray into doing that where they're actually going to roll it back again in previous years they've they've capped it um but now they're actually looking to turn the clock back which is kind of crazy to you know it's like saying 
telling us to go back to using a, a, a cell phone from the year 2000. It's just like, why would you ever do that on, <laughs> on your own? But um, it's, it's, so it's, it's, you know, again, their claim is it's going to make it better for the environment and courses will be smaller and this and that. I just don't think that what they've done is going to make that big of a difference anyway. So to me, it seems like a lot of hassle for not a significant enough change. And unfortunately, had they done this 20, 30 years ago, we could have been on a much different path. But now it's it's kind of tough to, to turn it back at this point. You know, it's interesting because golf is one of those sports where, you know, you're playing the same technology that the pros are playing. And it's hard, though, to then just say, okay, well, you're a professional golfer, so you're forced into this type of equipment. And you're an amateur golfer, so you're in this type of equipment. And you're a weekend golfer, so you're in this type of equipment. I mean, is that kind of the direction that we're going to be going down? Well, that was the option on the table. Um a few months ago, that was the first preferred option by the golf governing bodies. And the PGA tour basically said right off the bat, we're not doing this. And so that kind of forced the hand. And so a lot of people are kind of blaming now the tour because of their reaction to it. And the man, not to mention the manufacturers, obviously they don't want to change anything. Uh, then the golf governing bodies came back together and said, okay, well, if you don't want to uh, split up and do and bifurcate bifurcation, We'll just do it for everybody. So to me, it's not a big deal if I'm playing the exact same equipment as the pros, but I know that's part of, you know, the tradition of love that we all play the same, you know, same equipment um, on some level, and they don't want to change that. It's always been that way. They, they're so rigid. They do not want to change that. So, but if you really look at it realistically, Kayla, the pros do not play the same equipment that we play. Everything is completely fine tuned to them. They have all the best new, they have new stuff that's not available yet, you know, prototypes and this and that. So like, to me, that argument is already a little flawed because um, we don't play the exact same equipment as Rory McIlroy to begin with. But Yes, that would have been where I would have wanted to see it headed, and that that was the first proposal back in the summer um, to to for, for bifurcation, so different rules, different equipment for pros and amateurs. And once that got shot down, though, the golf government body said, "I don't care if we're going to tick off more people. We just think that for the best interest to get the pros down, we're going to have to roll it back for everybody." And unfortunately, that's the position we're in right now. I 100% see your point that, yeah, pros, we get the prototypes. We have, uh, you know, yeah. something completely bent to our our liking, et cetera. We have different shafts. We have different balls. I mean, Tiger had his own ball there for a while. Um, I, I guess right. I'm, like, looking at it from the standpoint of you're, you're a kid and you're growing up and you're learning how to play the game and you're getting good. At what point do you have to change equipment because you're headed yeah. down a different path? So that kind of makes yeah, a- it challenging. <laughs> No, that's a great point. It, it, I'm not saying that wouldn't make it messier. It, it definitely would make it messier because then it's like, oh, well, what level of amateur events do you do you switch to the, the higher equipment? Because obviously, like the USAM would be the people on the precipice of potentially turning pro. What, right? And don't you have to prep to get ready for that? The one thing I'll say is they do have that in baseball. There is some kind of precedent, obviously, with the wooden bats versus metal bats, and um, guys are able to make that transition now some aren't but that's just the way it goes i guess so 
but no, it, that clearly would make things more messy. Um, and so I'm not saying that that wouldn't. But again, the aim of this is to is for the pros to not overpower and obsolete these courses. Um, you would think that they would be the, the targeted versus again the, the weekend hackers. Absolutely. Uh, final thing here for you, Alex. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, uh, gracious enough to take some time with us on this Monday. Um, are we going to be throwing this conversation out the window and kind of our dejected nature about it because April's rolling around in Augusta National and we're going down Magnolia Lane and everything will be fine? <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. I mean, look, we got a long way to Augusta, but right now, I mean, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that. I mean, we got Tiger in the in, playing with Charlie this week. That'll be cool. We had the Grant Thornton last week. That was kind of cool. But there's just so much negative news right now with all this stuff that I do just kind of want to fast forward the clock to Augusta. Hopefully we're in a better state, um, either maybe not with the rollback as much, but certainly with the live PGA Tour stuff because it kind of scares me that um, golf could really uh, take a back seat maybe to some some other sports. Um, and, you know, golf has had such a great run, especially during the Tiger era, of course, and uh, to kind of give it all back because, uh, you know, a lot of some pros got, got really greedy would be, uh, would be sad. So, yeah, let's hope that by April yeah, we, we have a lot more positive stuff to talk about. I look forward to it. As, Al, as always, Alex, thank you so much for the time. This has been a, you know, it, it's been a good conversation. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sounds good, Kayla. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk soon. Take Sounds care. great. Uh, Alex Myers there with Golf Digest. A bit of state of play here for the world of golf, professional golf, as well as amateur golf here. We'll turn our attention to the poll questions as we answer those on the other side of the break. The KDOS1060.com poll question, as well as the Twitter poll question found at KDOS AM 1060. That's all coming up here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. We'll do what's best for the team, and we'll do what's best for you. The Rich Eisen Show, coming to you weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, joining in the previous segment. Plenty to get into there in regards to professional golf and the movement forward in the world of golf with the golf ball rollback and equipment. You can podcast that interview over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. It is the extra point. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today, so Kayla Mortolaro here with you for a few more minutes as we pop over to the KDOS1060.com poll question. It's time to answer it. Going back to the world of the NFL, what has stood out most to you through 14 weeks of the NFL NFL season and the options are quarterback injuries or discussion of ref calls at game end and just just a little bit of context here for quarterback injuries as of last Thursday night 
we saw our 53rd different quarterback get a start in the NFL this season. That's right. 53 different quarterbacks have suited up and gotten a start in the NFL. That's not great for continuity of an offense. That's not great for overall production on the field. That's not great for aesthetically pleasing offense. I mean, we also had a game in the NFL Sunday that finished 3-0. Some of that has to do with quarterback play. Some of that has to do with injuries. Some of that has to do with a plethora of different things. But uh, let's also take an example of the Vikings here. We chronicled it last week how the Vikings have had an epic amount of turnovers since Kirk Cousins went down with his Achilles injury. They didn't have any turnovers yesterday, but instead it was just really offensive ineptitude. Dobbs was 10 of 23, 63 yards, five sacks. Nick Mullins, 9 of 13, 83 yards. And the Vikings go on to win 3-0. Conversely, the Raiders had Aiden O'Connell starting. 21 of 32, 171 yards, one interception, four sacks. We could talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation, a likely Hall of Famer here. Four snaps into his Jets tenure, he goes down with an Achilles. The Jets have been a revolving door of Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, Trevor Simeon. It hasn't been a good product. Mike Tanier of The Messenger, who joined us in hour number one, offered up that this upcoming week, week 15 in the NFL, there's just going to be six games that will feature week one starter versus week one starter. And he pointed out that one of those is going to be Desmond Ritter versus Bryce Young. I also went through and saw what the average points per game are, and it's not as Big of a discrepancy as I thought it was going to be from 2022 to 2023, but it certainly is from 2021 to 2023 and 2020 to 2023. So 2023, 21.7 points per game on average, 2022, 21.9 points per game, 2021, 23 points per game, and 2020, 24.8 points per game on average in the NFL. You also had, you know, Aaron Rodgers not playing, Drew Brees not playing, Tom Brady not playing, some Hall of Famers moving on, new crop of players coming in, those players getting injured, some guys that we didn't even realize. I mean, Joe Flacco getting a start. He was sitting on his couch to start this NFL season. Now, the referees, there's been inconsistencies for sure. Um, you have the referee crew not calling that pass interference penalty in that Packers Chiefs Sunday night game was a big one. I'm not even talking about the Hail Mary. I'm talking about the one before that non-pass interference call. Uh, I believe, though, the referee crew correctly called offsides on the Chiefs' uh, Kadarius Tony yesterday. That was the correct call. I don't know that you needed to give him a heads up that you're a whole yard, yard and a half off sides. Um, and Tony didn't check with the ref. If he checked with the ref, he probably would have told him to scoot back. It's not the ref's job to initiate that, though. Um, if you want to get into it just on Sunday as well, the referee crew missed a block in the back on the Ravens. Punt return for a touchdown in overtime there. 
You also have that the NFL is admitting that the referees need to be more consistent. According to Diana Rossini from The Athletic, she reported Saturday before yesterday's Week 14 games got underway that the league is aware of the scrutiny and that they want to see more consistency week to week from crew to crew and that she has talked to different coaches around the league, head coaches around the league, that there is too much discrepancy between how crews call different things. Some crews call things tighter than other crews. And there's no consistency from week to week about how things are being called. We've seen a ton of penalties this season with offensive linemen being called for being too far downfield. I think we can all agree that sometimes uh, defensive players who are trying to sack a quarterback just breathe on a quarterback and it's a flag. And that frustrates all of us. But I think for me... It's the key injuries to these quarterbacks. That's been the thing that has stood out to me most through 14 weeks of the NFL season. The masses, they're also on that side of things at 56% of the vote. 44% is on the referee side. Over on Twitter, at KDOS AM 1060, are you concerned about the state of men's professional golf? Uh, yeah, I am. You know, I, I, I consistently try to to live my life by saying that change doesn't automatically mean it's a bad thing. Let's let's look and see how this change can be beneficial or helpful or who is it helping the most people, etc. Uh so before just immediately saying change is bad, let's look at it. But taking a step back from this particular situation of golf, I don't see how this helps the vast majority of fans it certainly puts everybody in a position here that it's just placing an utmost of importance on the major championships and the regular tour events or the live events have no real importance to them and that's kind of a sad place to be as well Um, because I think you're seeing some of that unfold in what the NBA is trying to do, that there's a massive importance on the postseason and the regular season doesn't have, you know, I think it's evident that they themselves will agree with that because of the attempt at trying to get eyeballs, player engagement, et cetera, by having an NBA in-season tournament. And if you get going down that path for golf, you have eliminated an entire season of interest. And it just comes down to four tournaments. I also think Alex Myers brought up a pretty good point about the whole thing is very confusing to people. And when it gets to be too confusing, people just tune out. And that's unfortunate because there's a lot of really cool personalities out on tour. There's a lot of really great, talented players out there that golf has so many different players that can win any given week. And now that they might be playing in varying different places spread across the world, I don't know that that's great for the fan engagement. So I'm on the yes side of things. As two are the masses at 68.8% of the vote, no trailing at 31.3%. This is over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. We wrap up this Monday edition of Extra Point on the other side of the break.
now time in your afternoon for the Doug Gottlieb Show right here on KDUS AM 1060, 100.7 HD2, and KDUS1060.com. Weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. Wrapping up this Monday, December 11th edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Bob Kemp feeling under the weather today. We're hoping to get him back tomorrow in the sports zone. For now, we have to thank uh, Mike Tanier of The Messenger for chatting all things NFL with us, podcasted over at KDOS1060.com, as well as Alex Myers of Golf Digest to chat all things uh, men's professional golf, as well as the golf ball rollback announced by the USGA and the RNA a few weeks ago. Podcast that as well. Two Monday night football games tonight, the Titans and the Dolphins, Packers and the Giants, both at 615. ABC, ESPN, or if you want the Manning cast, ESPN 2 tonight. And oh, yeah, Shohei Otani made his decision. He's joining the Dodgers. I'm sure you know by now, 10 years, $700 million. His annual salary is more than seven current payrolls in Major League Baseball. Everyone have yourselves a fantastic Monday. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Sports Zone with Bob Kemp, hopefully with you tomorrow.